Ebb and flow inspires persistence and determination during the rhythmical patterns of decline and regrowth in life. Each episode, I bring on an inspiring and influential voices who are here to help us stand strong and walk through the ebb moments of life and propel us to the peak of our health, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, so we can live our life in the flow, individually and collectively. This includes strategies, habits, routines, focus tricks, questions, and much more that we can use to live our life in the best way in order to maximize our service to others. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you're as excited for the Ebb and Flow podcast as I am, but to make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe now on any stream, check out YouTube, or visit SolomonEzra.com to learn more. My guest today is Coach Johnny Shelby. He has been a triathlon and multi-sport trainer since 2004, and in 2007 launched his business, Third Coast Training, which has been recognized by the USA Triathlon as the nation's eighth USA Triathlon Certified Performance Center since 2013. Third Coast Training offers high-quality facilities and services to its members, including a human performance lab, recovery center, heated indoor endless pool, bike fitting, video analysis, and lactate O2 and CO2 testing. Additionally, this performance center allows members to work with USA Triathlon certified coaches, as well as consultations for physical therapy, nutrition, and sports psychology. On today's episode, you'll hear all about Johnny's approach to training individuals, which I noticed really looks at the whole of the person rather than just their sport. Also, he shares a couple stories of previous clients and how his testing helped them pinpoint how to help the individual, not just in their sport, but as a person and in their own life emotionally and successfully. If you're interested in checking out more about Johnny, go to his website, thirdcoasttraining.com and check out their social media page at third underscore coast underscore training. If you haven't yet, please leave a review about the show and today's guest on Apple Podcasts and head over to solomonezra.com or follow me on Instagram at King underscore Solomon 8 and Facebook Solomon Ezra Bresen to learn more. Also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Solomon Bresen, to watch videos of my podcast guests and I, and you'll see new videos and podcasts that I've released. Now on to the show with Coach Johnny Shelby. It's a pleasure to have you on the show and a pleasure to talk again. Thank you for uh, taking the time to speak with me. You wouldn't believe it. To, I don't know if you can see my vit camera. But I have actually the uh, Third Coast training shirt you gave me, um, you know, many years ago. Awesome, yeah. yeah. To compliment you on your great fashion sense. <laughs> and you look thinner too. You look like you dropped some weight. Uh, I, I, I definitely would say I'm a lot leaner, a lot uh, bit a better uh, BMI and just uh, strength overall. And yeah, thank you. Good. I, I wish I could say the same, but I'll have to see you in person. When we, yes. <laughs> are you still in the Are you still in the Third Coast office that uh, I'm familiar with? Uh, no, I'm at the other one. I'm uh, over in the the one that's over in River Oaks, over by the the Galleria. Oh, cool. I have not been to that one. Yeah, but, so we're uh, on the, the, yeah, we're on the 13th floor there. We got that's where the training center is. Uh, ah. So that's where we got treadmills, the. Uh, the cycling ergs and the uh, the swim ergs. So wow. Yeah. So we've got a nice little setup over there to where you can literally do an indoor triathlon. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I um 
I remember definitely when, because I would go, you know, often to Third Coast in Pasadena, and you know, I, I would always see you with the different technologies or modalities, whether it was the breathing devices or I don't even know what a lot of them were called. And I remember even getting a awesome sports deep tissue massage from you. And uh, so it's it's really awesome to be able to speak with you. But to to start, I'd really love to hear about your background and how you really got into training performance and especially like endurance and triathlete uh, triathletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, oddly enough, uh, the funny thing is here's where I'm at on the 13th floor. I look out the window, I can actually see the building that it all started off with uh, hmm. back in uh, 2003. Uh, a buddy of mine and I, we were, we were training. And the funny thing is we were both injured at the same time. So we were in a hot tub over at the HBU Wellness Center uh, licking our wounds. And, uh, and we just looked at each other and just said, you know, there's not a spot for you know, endurance athletes uh, to train. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you see a lot of gyms out there. And, I mean, back in 2003, uh, the idea of having a, 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 a training studio or a training center or a studio, for that matter, focusing on a, a niche uh, on a niche market was unheard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, it, if there was one, there were far and few between. And back then, uh, you would hear a lot of the, uh, you know, some of the... Uh, uh, well-known speakers within the industry saying that's the future of training is get you know uh, uh, trainers coaches uh, catering to the different niches out there as opposed to uh, like a gym yeah. catering to everybody in the market so we were kind of ahead of our game we already knew what we wanted to do yeah and uh, so with all that being said uh, uh, we put our heads together and uh uh, reached out to a couple of uh, guys in the industry that uh, specialized in, uh, you know, specifically in endurance athletes, mm-hmm. and, uh, and you know, kind of you know, figure out you know what would work, what wouldn't work, and uh, the one thing we wanted to do is make sure that it was uh, science based, not mm-hmm. uh, you know, not something of a uh, that's a fad, which. A lot of the concepts that you see out there, it's a, a lot of it's fad, you know, a lot of it's bells and whistles, you know, a lot of like you know, a lot of cheering, a lot of rah rah, uh, and very little to do with uh, yeah. you know sports specificity. A lot of it's just to help you feel like you're a part of something or make you feel like you're getting some results by you know by feeling the burn. Uh-huh. You know, if, if you feel it burning, it's working. <laughs> And, uh, and the reality is, is that when it comes to endurance training, it's not glamorous. It's not glamorous. It's none of the high intensity stuff. It's a lot of it's quite boring when you really look at it. Uh, but uh, but with all that being said, uh, if you know where you're at, so this is where the testing comes in. If you can measure it, then you can start tracking, mm-hmm. you know, how the adaptations are coming along. So a lot of times individuals have no idea where they're at. They're just going by feel and uh, and their last race or their last performance and basing everything they've been doing onto that last performance. And there's so many variables that can be in play that can give them a false assumption 
and uh, with no data to support it other than I, I scored yeah. more more points or, or I lasted longer or I finished faster. And the reality is, is that uh, you could have ate better. You could have had a better night's sleep. You could have had a better recovery session that week. Yeah. You could have, I mean, there's just so many variables uh, in play. But the thing is, when you start looking at hard data with testing, then you can actually start tracking, uh, you know, adaptations, whether it's mm-hmm. an improvement or if it's a step backwards. So we knew right out of the gate, we had to do testing. So that was at the cornerstone of everything that we do is, you know, what kind of testing can we do to help individuals realize where their current fitness status was? And uh, so that was the first thing that we were looking at was, you know, performance testing. And we quickly realized that within the market, you there was really no places that were doing that. And This is uh, still back in 2003. Yep. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you literally, you literally had to go to like a hospital wow. and, uh, or the university to, uh, to do a, like a, a, just for example, like a VO2 max test. You had, mm-hmm. you had, had to go to a human, a human performance lab at the university, uh, or at a hospital. But the reality is, is that, uh, if you got tested at the university in the performance lab first, uh, it's not something you would just walk in and get tested. You mm-hmm. would have to be invited by the professor. And uh, more than likely, you would, the first thing they're going to ask you is, is your VO2 over 60 or over 70? And if it wasn't, uh, they're not even going to look at you because they're, they're, looking for, uh, they're looking for test subjects for, for research. And they're not going to waste their time on a, non, uh, a non-elite, uh, if you will. Yeah. But... Uh, but with that being said, even if you got tested, you're you're not going to have any meaningful data to take with you. They're not going to give you a consult on how to train. Yeah, they're just going to give you give the you numbers. The raw, they may, they may, they may give you the raw data. But even at that, by the time they give it to you, it might be a month later, three mm-hmm. months, six months. In most cases, a lot of the individuals they, they didn't get the raw data until like six yeah. months later, which by then it's useless. Yeah. But uh, and then if you went to a hospital. Uh, the biggest, the biggest complaint uh, with most individuals is the person that was administering the test did not know anything about their sport and was not able to consult them on the application side as to how it was going to benefit them. And but just remember, this was back, you know, seventeen years ago. So yeah. a lot's transpired since then. But uh, that was one of the things that we knew is that we wanted a spot where individuals can come in and get tested. And on that spot, uh, after we reviewed the data, made sure everything was copacetic, that we can actually give them something to, to work with. You know, this is your current fitness status, and uh, this is what you need in your training. Because the reality is, you get what you train. So, yeah. if you wanted to be a marathon runner, and your test results are showing that you're better at burning sugar or glycogen than you are burning fat. Well, you need to do more low intensity training. Where, what intensity would that be? That's what the test what test results would reveal. We we would see their baseline lactate threshold. We just we would see where their uh, their onset of the blood lactate accumulation was. We'd see where their anaerobic threshold was. We would see their, you know, we see all the fatigue markers that are needed to help devise and develop their training plan what did what do they need to do to improve yeah so 
because in most cases, individuals thought they were trading slow enough. But the reality is they were trading well above their base. And uh, for your for your uh, for your science guys out there, for your exercise science, your uh, sports science guys out there, that's commonly, you know, we would see on the gas exchange, that would be like a respiratory quotient of like 0.85 or mm-hmm. their first ventilatory threshold. And, uh, or if we're looking at their uh, blood lactate uh, values in terms of uh, from a blood lactate sample, uh, that might be the, depending on how they're looking at it, could be their lactate threshold uh, or their, uh, or their two millimole mark in terms of uh, the amount of lactate they have in their, uh, in their system. So it just depends on how you do your zone methodology and how you define each one of those, uh, parameters or fatigue markers is how you would apply it to a training plan. So a lot of times you'll hear individuals talk, uh, uh, out there talk about FTP, Mm-hmm. lactate threshold which is inter- interchangeable depending on who you're talking to some people use the reference lactate threshold interchangeably with uh, the term anaerobic threshold uh, which that's confusing that's confusing yeah. to a lot of people because i use the term lactate threshold to define where is that lactate value where it's consistent it's stable at the lower intensities and if you increase it a little bit it's still stable you increase the intensity a little bit more it's still stable the lactate values don't change necessarily too much until, you know, the load gets to a point where it starts to creep up. That's when you've, you know, that's when you, that's the lactate threshold right there. Whereas a lot of individuals will refer to the lactate threshold as uh, uh, near the anaerobic threshold or individuals are ventilating, they're breathing pretty heavy. And uh, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's a, high, a much higher intensity. Yeah. And uh, so when you read articles out there, people get confused as to, you know, what lactate threshold is. And so it just depends on, you know, whoever's writing the article or whatever they're describing the training intensity. What What is that definition? Yeah. So, so uh, thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for that rundown. I, I kind of want to retrace a little bit just to make sure uh, we're on the same page. And of course, anyone uh, yeah. listening, um, I'm not too familiar with uh, triathlon training. Um, yeah. But one, I, I loved hearing a little bit about the background. And like you shared, it's definitely ahead of the uh, time because, um, you know, in, in recent years, you start noticing that everything is becoming more uh, personalized, especially when the coronavirus hit, you know, you're, we're not able to go to the gyms. So people get personal trainers and all that uh, that comes along with it. Um, so you you and your friend were both triathlon athletes beforehand, and you just kind of noticed how this was missing, or we knew it was missing. Yeah, and uh, but you guys, so you guys is, were is that... tri- you guys were you guys had ran and um, competed for quite some time. I'm yeah, prior yeah, to that. Yeah. yeah, prior to that. So we did a lot of endurance-related stuff. And uh, so what we knew is, what we knew at that point with the testing, that had to be the uh, the, uh, the the marker that would actually bring people in. Yeah. You know, uh, how, how, do, how do I know that I'm improving? Well, these are the test results. How do I know I'm going backwards? Well, this is where you're at. So As the thing opposed is to just the feeling like you talked about. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can measure it, then you can actually track it. You can track gain. So it's a double-edged sword as a coach. Mm-hmm. So if they're going backwards, you're going to have to explain it. So back then, we didn't have the benefit 
a lot of the tools that we have now. So uh, back then, so like back then, we were one of the first coaches in Houston training with power uh, power meters, and uh, so with that, uh, a lot of our athletes in the first year just exploded when they're able to get a power meter. Now back then, a power meter for the bike ran anywhere between three to five thousand dollars. So now you can get a power meter for around six hundred bucks, and uh, which is quite a big difference. Hmm. So. And if you look at the, a lot of the age groups, the, the age groups now, uh, the older guys are a lot faster than they were 10 years ago, a lot faster. I mean, you'll see guys now in their 50s just blowing the doors off of guys half their age. And uh, But with all that being said, it, it made for smarter training plans. So one of our things, you know, one of our taglines was, you know, train smarter, not harder. Yeah. And because uh, a lot of times you'll hear individuals out there say, say lines like, you know, no pain, no gain. Well, yeah. our comeback to that was no brain, no gain. <laughs> and uh, I like it. Yeah. And, yeah. So the thing is, you know, with, with training, no with, brain, uh, no with technology, it's to a degree, you know, you can have all the technology, but if you're not using it correctly, it'll work against you. Because then what you're doing is you're analyzing every workout. And the mm-hmm. reality is the body doesn't work that quick. It seems you know, it takes time. Yeah. It seems that gets um, even more than you were saying, like rather than kind of basing your training solely on feeling, it, um, which can also have its benefits, you know, if somebody, you know, for, for lots of other reasons, you know, just basing like, you know, if you feel good, like being able to be in tune with one's body, but at the same time, it, it doesn't seem like what you were starting, you and your friend were starting at in 2003 was really contradictory to that because in a sense, you were just opening uh the perspective to see other variables that maybe they weren't aware of so they could take a more holistic approach like i even back in 2003 you know i don't i don't know the history too well but we weren't so uh aware that um you know burning fat might be a better source of fuel than uh carbohydrates but um can you dive a little bit more into all the different uh, scientific testings you were at? I, I really am interested in the um, not only the process, the framework, and the training, and and the different testing you guys were doing, uh, especially how it opened up and kind of made a more holistic approach to training, because then you could help individuals in in uh, specific areas that they needed help with. But what what uh, like you mentioned the VO2 max uh, testing? What other kind of uh, tests were you guys doing, and what were they measuring? Yeah, for largely for a lot of individuals, there's just two uh, two different tests that we were doing predominantly. Mm-hmm. There was the VO2 max test. We wanted to see how big their engine was in terms of all of VO2 all of VO2 max test does is tells us genetically. Uh, in terms of where their VO2 number is, is how good their body is at extracting O2. So extracting, a, extracting. So, so like it, using how good they are, not just at inhaling, but actually using that breath? How, how good their body is at using oxygen. Okay. So in, in, in a simplistic way. So to put it in, uh, in a, using an automobile as, a, as an example, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, being able to with, uh, with through gas exchange, you know, is this a two cylinder engine or is this a 12 cylinder engine? Yeah. And we don't have to do too much hard thinking to realize a 12 cylinder engine is going to deliver more horsepower, right? 
each cylinder is able to utilize more oxygen to, for combustion, right? Yeah. So the thing is, is with, uh, with gas exchange, we can, you know, indirectly uh, take a look at, you know, if an individual comes in off the street, and I've had this happen several times, I'm looking at the individual and, uh, you know, and, and, and this is when you're in the sport or if you're in this industry long enough, you realize you can never judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. So someone can come in and literally look like a ratty old book. But once you do the testing, you're like, oh, my God, this person just tested 65 on their uh, for the VO2, their VO2 max. And, uh, and it was a submaximal test. It wasn't a maximal test. So the testing that we did was not designed for to get a VO2 max. Uh, the testing we did was more to drive to develop training zones. But if we got a high number, then we knew that this individual was you know, got a, is a hidden gem. So I've had individuals come in and that, you know, they tested, uh, at a VO2 at 65, which, you know, that's fantastic. And, uh, and, and the reality is, is that all they got to do is lean out a little bit, start doing the right training. And, uh, they, they would be able to express that, that, uh, their engine that they have. So the, the only problem is, is that a lot of times individuals, when they come in, they're thinking they have a high VO2 max and they, they think they're more fit than they really are. And they, they've been doing the wrong workouts. And then what we got to do is basically slow them down to make them faster. Yeah. And, uh, and with that, uh, sometimes it's hard, for, it's a hard pill for them to swallow, but the data points to right to them. But, but the thing is a lot of people don't understand physiology. They don't understand what slow twitch fibers are. They don't understand what medium fast twitch fibers are. Are, and they don't understand, you know, uh, you know, motor unit recruitment. They don't understand the, the, the whole idea and the process behind training zones. They don't understand that the, the secret sauce is you don't improve when you do the workout. You improve when you recover. Yeah. And uh, so with zone-based training, so understanding where all these parameters are, you can set an intensity so the athlete understands this is where they need to be at to recover. This is the intensity where they need to be at to improve their base, you know, to, you know, to recruit those slow twitch fibers so they can get that enzymatic development to break down fat more efficiently and preserve their glycogen stores so they don't, you know, run out of gas, yeah. so they can become more resistant to fatigue. But with all that being said, with the, the VO2 max, it's just basically we can look at an individual and see how big their how big their engine is. It doesn't mean they can go out and win marathons and become a mm-hmm. professional athlete. But on that note, uh, did you follow the, the Tour de France in the last couple of years? No, I haven't. Yeah. So uh, I would say uh, back in 2004, we had a, an athlete come in and uh, and his father uh, said, hey, I just want to see how my son's doing. And uh, we had another pro, uh, not pro, uh, we had another kid come through. And it's it was odd that uh, in the same year, uh, both these kids came in and uh, they both took different paths in their in their career but they were both like early teens if not you know they were like almost 10 years old 10 11 years old mm-hmm. but they were doing uh one was actually in the sport already and when he came in he tested off the charts i mean his vo2 was through the roof and his father says well what should i do i said i said keep them i said keep don't make it formal in terms of uh doing every race or training 
too formally as so make it mm-hmm. fun and interesting for him to where he wants to do it. Yeah. Now, to make a long story short, he, he was uh, the last American that was in the Tour de France uh, wow. from Texas, lost in Crowder. Wow. And uh, now I didn't train him. I just did the testing. And his father, you know, asked all the, the right questions. What should I do? And, you know, as, as far as grooming, I said, just keep him interested. Let him want it. Don't live through your son. And, uh, and I watched him through his development. I remember when I was in Arkansas, when I was up there for a little bit, he was on a semi-pro team and he was, you know, he had his head on and uh, he did all the hard work. He was a, a great kid and uh, he finally made it to a top tier uh, pro cycling team. It was in the Tour de France. And uh, uh, that same year, uh, way back when, uh, I had another kid come through and test them. He became a pro cyclist too, but not a top tier one. Uh, he chose to go to college where uh, Lawson, you know, he went all in. And uh, a lot of people don't realize in the world of, uh, of cycling, uh, your career is very short. You know, once yeah. you get to 29, you're basically, it's like uh, gymnastics. You're retired. You're you're too old for the sport. <laughs> it's just brutal. The, the sport is just absolutely brutal. And a lot of people don't understand how brutal that sport is. When, yeah. you, you, know, when you do the Tour de France, that, that's like doing a marathon every day for 21 days. Yeah. It's, I, I can't imagine. The thing is, is that to be in that sport or any in, in any endurance sport for at that level, you your base, your lactate threshold, that base uh, has to be superior. It has to be way high. When it's way high, your fatigue rate is much lower. Mm-hmm. So you recover faster. You utilize fat much more superior than you know anybody off the street. And, uh, but the thing is, is that it doesn't mean that, you know, you can go out and and hammer it every day. You're just better than everybody else. And a lot of people don't realize to be a cyclist to where you could be in the Tour de France, it's, it would be much easier to make it to the NFL, be on an NFL team, a lot easier, a lot easier to, to make it to the NFL. Mm. And, uh, that's how tough the sport is. You know, wow. there's not that many pro cycling teams. And, uh, but with all that being said, uh, so the VO2, we can, you know, with the VO2 max, we can identify a lot of the, uh, the numbers, breathing reserve, you know, how well the individual, uh, you know, takes in uh, air, the respiratory rate. Hmm. Uh, sometimes I can tell the individual has been smoking in the past just simply because they're, their uh, volume is, is not there. They're just, it's kind of wimpy. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, uh, the other side of it is uh, not that I'm doing any kind of diagnostic or anything like that. It's just that, you know, you just see they're lacking the performance. They got a lot of work to do. Yeah. But the other part of it too is on the, you know, we do the blood lactate with the blood lactate. That's actually what's going on in the muscles. So, with, you know, if it's, you know, that's predominantly what I like to do is doing that, uh, the VO2 max is usually when an individual is leaned out. So if an individual is not leaned out, uh, they got some work to do. And uh, so with the VO2 max, it helps us you know, see if they have a ceiling problem or they don't. And uh, so uh, outside of that, if they have a weight issue, a lot of times then we'll, we'll, look, we'll take a look at the VO2. So the thing is just it's more of application. It's like, you know, what does the individual need? Where are they at? Where's their head at? What? You know, uh, it's not a one size fits all uh, in terms of what test is going to be applicable to uh, to each individual. But but with all that being said, uh, 
for most individuals, doing a blood lactate is going to be a lot easier because most individuals don't like having a mask on their face. They feel like they're not getting enough air, uh, which usually is not a problem for elite athletes. They're, they have no problem getting air in. <laughs> but, uh, but with that being said, uh, uh, with, uh, with that, uh, uh, it helps individuals, you know, seeing those hard markers when you see lactate values. Yeah. You can compare those lactate values at different intensities. Uh, whereas the VO2 side, you can you can kind of see what their uh, you know wh- where's that VO2 max is. Once you realize they got a high VO2, then you can go back and say, hey, look, it's it's, it's you don't have a your your problem's not with your ceiling. You know, it's 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 all the other things that are uh, they're associated with uh, your development. So the thing is. You got to look at testing from the co- when you're at a coaching level. It's it's eliminating variables, yeah, and then translating to okay if if this is not their if this is not a limiting factor for them to improve, then what is their limiting factor for them to compete at the, uh, within their age group or overall? So you know, for if you want to be an elite athlete, your body composition be better be commensurate to other elite athletes. You know, if everyone else is uh, uh, nine, nine and 10% body fat, uh, showing up with a uh, 20% body fat, it ain't going to, it ain't going to happen. Uh, so, you're, you're not going to be in the same ballpark. How can that's going to cost, well, that's going to cost you a lot more. Can, does, do these different tests help for just the everyday athlete? Uh, oh, absolutely. And absolutely. what, uh, how could, like, if I were to get a VO2 uh, max, by the way, if, if you said uh, triathletes, you know, t- till cyclists till the age of 29, I got five years to go. So uh, <laughs> we'll be in contact. But um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I really like this. Uh, I've, I've only just a basic knowledge of the VO2 max and the uh, lactate um, test you were t- uh, talking about. How, how can, if if someone like me were just to come in to get a test like that, and what what would that, um, how could that help just a, an everyday athlete? Well, the first thing I would have I'd be talking to an athlete first is uh, what what is their objective? Yeah. So the thing is, is that uh, in most cases the the VO two max uh, type test or VO two test or gas exchange uh, test. Uh, uh, may not actually be, uh, you know, right out of the gate, something I would, uh, uh, start with? I would be looking at, yeah. I would probably start with, uh, with like a blood lactate, uh, test. Um, just simply from the fact that, uh, you know, for a lot of individuals, the blood lactase is, test is, uh, it's less cumbersome. You know, a lot of times individuals, when they get a mask on their face, it's something they're not used to. They're, they're right out of the gate. They're also not used to doing a test. So it's another thing. It's, you ever heard of a white uh, a lab coat uh, syndrome? White lab coat uh, syndrome? Mm-hmm. The moment they feel like they're going to get a shot, the moment they feel like they're going to get tested, their heart rate goes up, uh, they get antsy, they get a little bit of anxiety. It happened to me before. Uh, yeah. So uh, doing a blood lactate where we don't put the mask on them, it's a good starting point. Huh. But the other part of it gives us uh, plenty of data. The thing is, once their performance level is at a higher rate, then we bring in the mask. We do the gas exchange. Uh, but uh, but for my ultra distance guys, if they uh, come in and they're, let's say, they're doing a keto uh, mm-hmm. type diet, then we'll do gas exchange. Because the thing is, is that 
Mm -hmm. We can actually then see without having to do the the blood sampling from uh, like say measuring blood ketones. Mm -hmm. We can we can definitely see how long they've uh, if they've been uh, fat adapted or in uh, nutritional ketosis yeah, for yeah, some yeah. time because we'll actually we'll see in the we actually will see in their uh, their free fatty acids as far as their burn rate. We'll we'll see you know at the lower intensities, which for them that might they may be moving pretty fast. They're still burning anywhere between a gram and a half to almost two grams per minute in fat, which that's really 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 high. Like most yeah. individuals they would only be burning maybe you know a half a gram per minute to maybe 0.75 grams per minute in, uh, uh, in fat when they're on a mixed uh, diet, meaning they're eating fruits and vegetables and, huh. and uh, protein. But uh, but if they're on a keto-type diet, usually then we'll, if, if we know that beforehand, we'll recommend the, the gas exchange over the uh, uh, over the lactate if, if, uh, if, the, if money is an issue. Otherwise, we recommend both. Hmm. But, um, but a lot of times people want to, well, a lot of times people want to know what their VO2 max is, but if they're overweight, the number's not going to be all that great. So weight is used in the calculation of their VO2 max. So if you got room to lean out, lean out first, get your adaptations, you know, get your training zones with the blood lactate. Uh, after you lean out, then let's see where your numbers are at. See, you know, because then you can rule out uh, if, you know, if, if your VO2 max is a limiter. So. I have had individuals come in where the parents were saying, Hey, our kid wants us to buy him a $20,000 bike. And, uh, we don't know if it's a fad or whatever. He wants to go pro and we do the testing and his VO2 is at a 40. And we're like, eh, we'll talk to him about maybe finding another sport. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, cause the VO, you know, when they're young and they're going hard and they're training hard and their VO2 is only at 40. The most you can improve your VO2 max is about 30%, and that's in a lifetime. So the thing wow. is, is that improving that 40 up to a 60 or a 70, if they want to go pro, it's just not going to happen. Wow. You know? But you know, for an individual like that, intermittent sport would be more uh, to go. And oddly enough, you know, the parents were happy they came back. and They are like, oh, he loves he loves tennis. He's all over that now. He's awesome. Thank you. Saved, you. you saved his $20,000. <laughs> yeah, saved him $20,000. <laughs> Instead, instead, we got a hundred dollar racket or something. <laughs> yeah, and, wow. uh, but uh, but with that, uh, you know, again, you know, testing for a lot of individuals that come in, come in for a lot of them. Sometimes it's just ruling out variables. So I yeah. did have one time, you know, parents that came in. They were both in the fitness industry. They had their their daughter was passing out during the workouts and. Uh, <laughs> which was not a good thing because they were a swimmer and oh, wow. they got kicked off the team and uh, they were freaking out because all the way up to that point, the, their daughter was breaking, you know, high school records, winning every race that they were in wow. and actually was being looked at by scouts. You know, this is at the high school level, mm -hmm. but now her uh, potential of getting a, a scholarship was in jeopardy because uh she was no longer on the team because you know she passed out uh, twice during a swim workout and uh to make a long story short when she came in we did the testing we did the testing on the bike we weren't going to put her in the pool and she passed out during the assessment wow. and we were doing we were doing blood lactate and vo2 gas exchange at the same time hmm. and we realized that she was massively carb depleted hmm. and uh and the test results revealed that. Now, mind you, up to that point, 
this girl saw a cardiologist, saw an, uh, a dietitian, saw uh, every specialist you can think of. And they, none of them could figure out, you know, what was going on. Some of them were surmising the fact that maybe she just didn't want to do it. And it was just kind of faking that, yeah. you know, she just didn't want it anymore. But when uh, one of the things I had, had the conversation with the, the, the parents was I wanted to talk to their daughter separately from them because I did want to find out did she want it or not yeah. or is it or was it the parents wanted it more than she did and she goes no 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 I really love swimming I love it you know, and I said well who are your who are your idols and stuff like that and she was rattling off all these guys wow. over at UT and I was like oh okay well by the way take a look at this guy and it was one of uh, one of the swimmers from UT uh, he, which I had done some testing on he came in a good looking kid and her jaw just dropped. And she's like, oh, my God, you're so-and-so. Oh, my God. That's awesome. And he sat down next to her. And he's like, hey, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, she goes, oh, I passed out during the test and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I asked, and, uh, and I told him, I said, hey, do you mind sharing how your diet was, uh, what you experienced? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, when I showed up at the dorm, I, uh, I didn't realize my diet had slowly changed. One of my roommates were into a low-carb diet. And, uh, he goes, you know what we do. And, uh, we go, we're, you know, we need a lot of fuel. She goes, yeah. He goes, how, he goes, how much do you eat? She goes, well, my, my dietitian has me on an 8,000 calorie day diet. He goes, Hey, that's exactly what I do. And, uh, he goes, yeah. He goes, my roommate was on a low carb, you know, all protein shakes. He goes, I didn't realize that I had slowly made this transition and I was 3000 calories short every day wow. and my performance dropped and I almost got dropped from the team. And she goes, that's, that's what kind I of what mean. happened to me. She goes, I got dropped from the team. And uh, he was like, oh. And she realized, oh, my God, th- th- this is all nutrition related. Yeah, that's, holy crap. To make, to make, so to make a long story short, what happened with her is uh, mm-hmm. she inadvertently had cut out her lunch simply from the fact that while she was having lunch, uh, and I had to drill this down. I said, walk me through your day. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's like, "Oh, I I eat a plant. I eat my planned meals and everything." Da 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 da. I said, "Okay, well, in my head, I was like, well, not everything's adding up." I said, "Well, walk me through your day." And it came around to lunch. I said, "Well, during your lunch, what's in your? How much is? How many calories are in your lunch?" She goes, "Well, the dietitian has me uh, a two thousand calorie lunch." Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, "Okay, well, uh, well, walk me through it. What's in it?" And then. Uh, and guess what? The only thing she ate out of that lunch was one packet of saltine crackers. And you know what prompted that? Hmm. The girlfriend who she was sitting with said, oh, my God, you eat like a pig. Yeah, I bet. Something so like she that. Didn't, That's she what didn't the... eat that lunch. And what happened is that 2,000-calorie deficit every day cost her – uh, significantly and not and ju- not just that, in the sport but uh emotionally you can just tell wow oh yeah so at that point uh so when i finally figured that out and then when she had that conversation with uh that good looking kid from ut <laughs> ut he looked at her and he goes sweetheart you are an elite athlete you need to eat like that because yeah. i love it when i go out and ha- uh, have lunch with a, a gal that knows how to eat and boy, her eyes got really big. And, and, uh, and right then, he goes, yeah, if any of those girls ever tell you that you eat like a pig, just, just tell them, say, look, you're an, elite, you're an elite athlete. You have to eat like this. Mm. 
And uh, and the thing is, she you know she trained four to six hours every day in the pool. Wow, this is in high school. Not, not a, and this is in high school. And uh, but with all that being said, you know she did a workout in the morning, workout in the afternoon, and the workout in the evening. You know, but that's not unheard of. I mean, that's what you know if you want to be a top tier swimmer and you want to get uh you, you enjoy what you do that that is what you do that that's yeah. part of what you do wow. you know soccer players do it you know they, they do technique work in the morning they do their running all up and down the field they do their work with the team they do their work individually with their technique coach or their 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 personal training you know it's 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 no different and uh but with all that being said guess what happened she went home and I told her parents, I pulled the parents in as I found out what the deal was. And I said, don't get on to her. She knows what it is and mm-hmm. she's going to fix it. I said, in 30 days, we should see a difference. I said, all you got to do is have a conversation with the coach and uh, and let them know what was going on. And uh, I said, don't come down on her. She's just, she's just a wow. girl going through girl things. And... Uh, she learned her lesson and she knows where she at. She knows how to handle it now. And, uh, uh, and sure enough, she made it back on the team and she got a full scholarship. Amazing. Later that year, her, yeah, her parents called to let me know and they couldn't even, they could barely keep a, a conversation going because they were sniveling and crying wow. and, uh, just so happy for their girl. Johnny, and, that's, uh, uh, but, that's awesome. But it was, so the testing there, what, guess what the testing was for? eliminating a variable was she getting yeah. the fueling what was what was her fueling that what she was using and uh i literally just i remember to this day catching her when she literally fainted on the bike wow. when we were testing her well and, almost, uh, it, it, it's uh one of the things that I, I picked up the most from what you were talking about earlier and then this uh, um, the story of this girl that you're just sharing validated it even more is that it's more so that it seems to be you're you're helping a lot more on the the mental side, like you said, no brain, no gain. But it's like these variables are also helping um, trace like a core kind of reason of what's hindering someone's performance. Because this girl, even though it even though the it showed up as you know she was fainting during those tests, it really was a like the real source of the problem was this kind of emotional response to, um, you know, a girl, her, you know, uh, fellow classmates saying, uh, you know, you're, you look like a pig eating so and what this and that. Well, it wasn't so much the emotional, it was the feeling. She was not feeling for performance. So she was chronically carb depleted. Yeah. So she not, she did not have the fuel to do the work. Mm -hmm. So she basically, she was, she exhausted all of her glycogen stores, mm-hmm. so she could not perform. So imagine if because she wasn't she wasn't did. eating the all she was eating was what you said the those little saltines and that's nothing. For, yeah, for lunch she had a, a a massive deficit during her lunch period. So basically, guess what would happen? So in the morning she would do her workouts and she would tap through all those uh, all the energy that she consumed from the night before. And, uh, and then she would have her, you know, do her morning workout and then her afternoon workout after only having a, a saltines, guess when she did, when she passed out during her workouts, guess when that happened in the evening. evening. 
And the thing is, when you're chronically carb depleted, uh, you're behind the curve all the time. So the thing is, with endurance athletes or elite athletes, you are always, always training in a state of carb depletion. Always. So the thing is, is that if you don't have time to recover, if you don't have recovery sessions or if you don't have recovery weeks, uh, you you will come to a a crumbling uh, point. You you will fall apart. And so the thing is, is that in her situation, uh, she was very fortunate that uh, in terms of timeline that she, you know, it was caught where it was because the thing is there's a lot of collegiate athletes that get into that situation where uh, they just get run into the ground and when they get done with college they never want to do the sport again and that's really common in track and field a lot of really good distance runners never want to run again because they get burned out in college and it's because it's intensity 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 hmm. intensity and there's no recovery. So the thing is that a lot of these guys, they don't want to lose their scholarship. They want to retain their position, you know, on the team. And they're always training. A lot of them are always injured. And, uh, you know, the, the mindset in college is what have you done for me lately? Hmm. And uh, so the mindset as far as coaching in the United States is quite different than the coaching in, let's say, over in Europe. Hmm. Over in Europe, coaches get their accolades on how many athletes they move to the next level. In the States, the coaches get their accolades for what have they done lately. Look at all these trophies we we got this year. Whereas over in Europe is like all these athletes that I took to the Olympics. I developed them to where they did go to the Olympics or they did go pro. It sticks out that you're you're not only helping with their um, performance with the sport, but like you've shared with the different... um, 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 athletes that you've trained, like the the, the very young one uh, that grew up and was in the um, uh, Tour de France, like it, a lot of it is the mental side. Like you're helping really reframe their uh, mindset when it comes to the training, and not just like you said with the uh, train smarter, but like you're. It's really kind of reinforcing, and what you're a lot of the different um, teachings we would be told is that you know have to train really hard and then you know push yourself and so I'm sure like a lot of people you came that came in and wanted to train they just wanted to get after it like I if you remember the the times I would go in and and train with uh Brittany you know I just I just loved putting it out but I, I had to be told by you guys to you know rest and and yeah and relax <laughs> yeah. uh but I really appreciate, you know, my, like being able to have, have learned how how mistaken or limited the understanding was or what I was being taught growing up. I now really appreciate that and how like how you are teaching the and training your your athletes now with this more of, a, you know, smarter approach and just, you know, more it's kind of compassionate and. And going at it slow and enjoying the whole training, not just you know winning. Yeah, and the thing is, a lot of it's an ed- it's educational. Mm. It's uh, helping them understand how their body is responding to exercise. And the yeah. reality is, is each of us is different. We're all we're all made the same, but we're different. Yeah. So the thing is, is that sometimes there will be individuals they respond differently. Some can take more punishment than others, and. Uh, but it's fun, uh, you know, at a different level. Like I had a, a guy who 
he came in and he said, you know, I really want to qualify for Kona, but I just, and he plateaued for two years. And uh, so he figured he'd give me a try because he heard from other individuals that trained with me. He goes, well, I just want to give you a try because this is my last year of mm-hmm. trying to make it to Kona. Wow. And I tested him on the bike and he was just a monster. I was like, wow, okay, the bike is not your problem. Let's see what you got going on the run. And while he was uh, on the treadmill, I saw he had some funky things going on. So I had Brittany check him out and mm. to take care of some, you know, some uh, biomechanical yeah, yeah, yeah. issues. He, he had some, he had a faulty pattern, but he was still fast. And, uh, but with that, when we did the testing on the run, I said, oh God, we're going to make you a lot faster. He goes, I just, seeing right here, you're, you've been training too fast on the, on the run. We're going to have to slow you down and make you faster. I said, but at the same time, I said, we're also going to be able to improve you on the bike. But I said, you got a big engine on the bike. And uh, so to make a long story short, his engine, uh, within that year, he, we did get him to a point where he could qualify for Kona. And, uh, and I remember uh, when he went to the race, I told him, I said, look, this is where, this is the power that you should be able to push on the bike. And he said, uh, uh, he goes, I can, I can wrap my head around that. I can do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, this is where you need to be at on the run. Now, mind you, on the training plan, the training plan is built to where, you know, we develop some tolerance and some, and, uh, but also help him wrap his head around that he can do that work. So the thing is, is that we built his engine to the point where the first time he qualified for Kona, he was able to wrap around the he- his head around the fact that he could do it mm-hmm. because those power numbers uh, were a bit significantly higher, but not to the point where it was unimaginable for him to do it. So he went out there and threw down an awesome time. In, in fact, when he came across the finish line, he passed a couple of pros. Wow. Now, just to give you an idea, an Ironman, the pros start before the age groupers, which means he, he caught them. the guys in a wave that was ahead of him which is, you know, he had a big engine. And the funny thing is that when I greeted him, when he came across the finish line, then we went over to where, you know, with, uh, where a lot of the athletes will go to get a recovery massage. A lot of the pros were looking at him like, hey, great, you did a good job. Uh, you know, uh, how long you've been a pro? And he goes, I'm not. And they're all, their eyes are all got really big. They're like, well, I guess we could expect you in the future, meaning that they were That's expecting awesome. him to be in the pro wave in the future. And, uh, but Uh, but he was excited. He qualified for Kona. And, uh, as a result of that, you know, we needed to get him prepared for Kona. And, uh, so we got some more adaptations and, uh, so he got even faster. And when we uh, sat down to go over his numbers for, you know, his power numbers for racing, he said, Oh my God, he goes, Johnny, I trust you. But I, he goes, I just can't imagine going that fast you know for the bike in the run and uh, and this is where your pros will talk about you know, the suffering part hmm. you know there's a part where the work is hard to do but it's it's a, it's a long day i mean these guys are racing you know basically at a hard effort for 8 to 9 hours hmm. i mean we're talking in a normal work day for a lot of individuals these guys are getting up and they're racing the whole time. Yeah. And, uh, but so the thing is, is that he, the, the marathon, 
So to give you an idea, the marathon pace that he was going to do for the Ironman would have been a PR for his standalone marathon. Wow. And the thing is, when he went out there, he said, Johnny, he goes, the only thing that was going through my head during the race is Johnny says I can do it. My motor says that I can do it. I just, my mind needs to know that I can do it. Wow. And guess what happened? He threw, he went out there and knocked down a sub 930 uh, Ironman. Uh, and it was on a very, very hot day and it was beautiful watching to me, it, you know, to me, watching someone perform at that level, it's like someone reading some really good poetry to you. It's poetry in motion. You're seeing all the pieces come together. It's just not the bo- It's not just the body. It's the mind. It's nutrition. It's everything Christian doing into this one moment in time that they've prepared for the sleep they got the night before, their family, uh, you know, encouraging them, supporting them, their work environment, their coworkers that may or may not know that that's that this is what they do in their spare time. You know, everything culminating to this one day to execute and to perform at that level is just, it's literally, when you look at it, you're just like, wow, it's, this is, this is fun. And, uh, uh, and when you see someone perform at that level, when they come across the finish line, it's just, they make it look easy. And, uh, uh, but it's, there's so much, uh, yeah. to it. And, uh, and that's where, when you look at these guys, and that's when you realize as human beings, why we're at the top of the food chain. <laughs> well, Johnny, and, it's, uh, it's, it's been a pleasure. And, uh, I think that's a perfect way to, to to conclude this this podcast i'd love to hear a little um where people can uh, get a hold of you and if they want to get te- uh, do the different tests that you um offer i i know i'm definitely interested i'd love to get a check out on the blood lactate and the vo2 max uh not necessarily for training just yet perhaps but uh just for my own kind of physical uh fitness <laughs> we'll see i'm just teasing a lot, uh, i'll a lot probably i'll probably have to see people. Huh? A lot of times people want to hold those cards close to their vest. They don't want like a lot of times people don't want to share. Yeah, very simply, they can just go to uh, Third Coast Training. Uh, you can spell it all out. They can just Google that, and they'll yeah. be able to find. Uh, I'll mention page, it in the but, intro. Yeah, but uh, maybe we can do a future podcast where we actually uh, take you through your paces. Uh, I'll invite you to come sick. in to do a, a lactate. I'd love that. And, uh, you, you may not want to share your running uh, results with everybody, though. <laughs> How do you know? What do you like? I mentioned it's it's really cool how all the, you're using the different science and the different testing, but ultimately it really is helping the individual with uh, you know just their mindset. And um, with my experience at the Third Coast, I, I shifted my whole approach, uh, not just on the court but off of the court. So. Thanks again. Thanks, thanks for uh, being a part of my life and uh, training me uh, athletically and uh, in life. My pleasure. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. I hope this episode brought you some really great value. If you enjoyed any of these episodes or would like to hear more, please leave me a review on Apple or Anchor Podcast. I'm always looking out for topics to learn and talk about, gifts to share, and value to bring to us all. 
For more updates, please check out SolomonEzra.com. That's S-O-L-O-M-O-N-E-Z-R-A. That's where you can also sign up for newsletters, read about blogs, and hear my different podcasts. Take care.